Quick disclaimer. Here at Discord and Rhyme, we try our best to keep our language clean because we are all practicing Mennonites. Every so often, however, we cover an album whose content demands we discuss its profanity, puerility, violence, frottage, drug use, and coprophagia. This is one of those episodes. Be forewarned. Where did cheese go? I don't know. Where did cheese go? I don't know. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme. New Hope Pennsylvania alternative rock duo Ween once asked their listeners a serious question. Where'd the cheese go? We don't know, but in this quadruple-length episode, we dive into the band's rejected Pizza Hut jingle to find out. Enjoy! I don't know. Where'd the cheese go? I don't know. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme. Today begins a five-part series about New Hope, Pennsylvania alternative rock duo Ween's classic radio staple, Poop Ship Destroyer. In the seven-hour first installment, we'll take a look at... We apologize for the fault in the previous introductions. Those responsible have been sacrificed to the mighty god, the Boognish. This is Discord and Rhyme. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums, song by song. I'm your host, Rich Burnell, here with Phil Maddox, Dan Watkins, and Chris Willie Williams. And our producer, Mike DeFabio, is behind the scenes this episode, pushing the buttons. And uh, this is the first time Dan and Will are appearing, the first time of many, hopefully. So warm welcome to you both. Thank you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little background, uh, a little background on us and a little background on the podcast. So um, in the 90s, we reviewed pop music on a group of DIY websites we informally called the web reviewing community. This podcast is our excuse for a new project for the 2010s and beyond. Every episode, we go track by track through a classic or favorite album, share our thoughts and opinions and dig into the album's surrounding context and what makes the music tick. So uh, Phil is our host this week. And uh, Phil, what album do you have for us? This week, we will be discussing The Mollusk by Ween. So, uh, Phil, what's your personal history with the album? Uh, How did you get into Ween and The Mollusk? When I was a kid back in the 90s, Ween were a name I had heard a few times, notably because um, I saw a clip of them performing Freedom of 76 on Beavis and Butthead, which is, you know, basically just like a Philly soul song. I was also a member of the BMG Music Service, which you may remember those get 11 CDs for a penny. It wasn't them. It was their um, <laughs> competitor, the 
get 11 CDs for the price of one with nothing more to buy ever. I was a member of that one. Wasn't there also the Columbia Record Club? Yeah, Columbia was 11 CDs for a penny. Columbia House. Columbia House. I was a BMG guy, too. So um, they always had like little descriptions of the band, and they had you know a couple Ween albums there where they were described as an alternative funk band, <laughs> where I... Like, what? well, that doesn't sound that interesting. That sounds like it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So no, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, cut to a couple years later in 1997, when I went to uh, the Horde Festival, Horizons of Rock Developing Everywhere, which was a very like 90s <laughs> festival. It was put together by John Popper from Blues Traveler. Wow. And I went to this because it was I want to see Blues Traveler and I wanted to see headlining act Neil Young and Crazy Horse. So on the side stage, I saw Ween because you know, I walked over there in between bands. I'm like, yeah, I'm bored. There's another band over here. Eh, I'll give them a shot. So I walked over there and they opened with the Golden Eel from this album, which is like a weird prog rock pastiche, which made me go, what? This contradicts everything I know about this band. Then throughout their set, they played, you know, country songs and like all kinds of different crazy stuff. And I'm like, wow, this band's got a lot going on. So I went out and bought the Mollusk, which I put in and was shocked to find that it was very weird because in concert, we tend to be a little bit more accessible, whereas in the studio, they experiment and there's often weird stuff, as we'll get into here. So I listened to that, and my 14-year-old self was like, whoa, what is this stuff? But I persevered and listened to the album a bunch of times and slowly got into it, and now it is, in fact, one of my favorite albums. Okay, well, so uh, so my, my personal history with the album, I first, I first got into it in, in late high school, where um, as a fan of music that was funny, such as Weird Al and They Might Be Giants, which were kind of the point zero for me for all of music, as far as I'm concerned, um, as well as music that was prog, um, I was immediately taken by the entire concept of this album. Uh, it just sounded like a really cool idea. Uh, flash forward to college. Um, well, my main memory of the Mollusk in college was that I attempted uh, to impress a girl who also liked the album with my grand unifying theory of how the Mollusk synthesizes and refines music and in a Moby Dick-like way or something. I don't know. Uh, I was an undergrad. I was a freshman. I was just ah. whatever. Uh, she was not impressed, and I eventually discovered that talking about music literally nonstop is not the key to dating success. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, aside from that, Wiener also, um, uh, besides the mollusk, Wiener responsible for the broiest moment of my life thus far, which our producer, Mike, was actually present for. I and my our other friend, Mike, painted our chests black with the names Dean and Jean uh, for their September 2003 concert at Berkeley's Greek Theater. And we actually stood in the crowd shirtless like a couple of bros. And yes, there are pictures, <laughs> but no, you can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> Ween is a band that I kind of was aware of for a long time before I actually heard any of their songs, at least knowingly heard any of their songs, because I would see their album covers in uh, record stores and kind of be, you, know, you see the cover of Chocolate and Cheese in a store when you're 13 years old, and it kind of, like, oh, what is that possibly yeah. going to sound like? Um, and Which, if you haven't seen it, it is very, I don't boobtacular is the word I think I might be looking yeah, for. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> yeah, I definitely saw that when I was 12 and was like, ooh, but, you know, like 12-year-olds do. Yeah, but it's funny you mentioned uh, BMG Phil because I think a friend of mine actually had like a dollar CD of the uh, Twelve Golden Country Greats, and that was actually weirdly enough my introduction to Ween somehow. And then I got I think wow. Paint in the Town it's not a Brown. Bad album. No, it's not, but it's it's a no, strange, it's great, but it's intro. it's an odd intro. 
Paint the Town Brown is an even weirder intro. Yeah, so I heard that, and then I progressed to Pure Guava, which was completely baffling to me. You, you did this in a weird way. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a weird trajectory. And then Yeah, um, I'm surprised you're here with us today. That's a strange... <laughs> it almost took my life in high school. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I eventually got to The Mollusk, and uh, I kind of had been primed that it was like their best album at that time, at least. And... Uh, and you know, at first I was kind of like, "Oh, this is interesting." It didn't quite blow me away at first, but quickly after like a few listens, it was definitely, I think, became one of my favorite albums of theirs. I um I learned about Ween through the Dead Milkmen, who were a sort of jokey punk band uh, who did ah, yes. they're best known for Punk Rock Girl, which was also featured on Beavis and Butthead. Um, I used to subscribe to their newsletter, and at one point, their guitarist Joe Jack Talcum. Uh, mentioned that they were his favorite active band, and so I, I picked up Pure Guava, which was an odd, yeah, it's an odd <laughs> intro. But For any I, listeners at home, do not start with Pure Guava ever. It's their major label debut, though. Yeah, yes, it is. Which is, uh, which they paid like they didn't even buy their own tape for it. Like they, you hear these weird cuts of other songs between their songs. It's because people gave them demo tr- demo tapes at their live shows that they just recorded over <laughs> for their major label <laughs> debut. But um, so I became a fan of them through that. And then uh, the Mollusk came out because I think I'm older than all of you guys, like like twice as old uh, <laughs> when I was in high school. And I got this album for my birthday and immediately like ran upstairs and listened to it like five times in a row uh, until I was told by my parents to come back downstairs and hang out with the rest of my family who were there for my birthday party. But it's, <laughs> it was then, I think, probably my number one album of all time back then, and it's probably still in the top at least ten, probably five. It's up there for me. Anyway, enough about us. Uh, Phil, why don't you tell us more about the band? Alright, so... Ween are two guys from New Hope, Pennsylvania. Aaron Freeman and Mickey Melchiondo, or Melchiondo, I don't actually know how to pronounce his last name. Maybe a lot of people didn't know how to pronounce it because they chose the Ramones path of dubbing themselves Dean and Gene Ween. Apparently they met in high school where, according to an interview I found, they did not get along very well because they were very different personality types. Whereas uh, Dean was kind of an outgoing, quote unquote, jock, whereas uh, Gene described himself as, quote, a trench coat kid, which um, in retrospect, that's a lot of what drives a lot of their music, because Gene's kind of, in my opinion, probably a somewhat better songwriter, whereas Dean provides a lot of the muscle and energy in the band, and they really complement each other quite well. So they messed around a bunch when they were in high school. They made a bunch of demo tapes for a couple like different local labels, uh, there's like five or six of them. I've tracked them down and listened to them. Uh, don't. <laughs> it's it's very much just 15, 16-year-old kids screwing around, trying to make weird, annoying music and succeeding. <laughs> so eventually they got signed to Twin Tone Records, where they made their somewhat, uh, not a major label debut, but a label that wasn't just people around their hometown with uh, God Ween Satan, The Oneness, which was a quantum leap forward over their early demo tapes. You listen to that record and you just go, where did this even come from? Because 
it's filled with all kinds of different diverse songs, diverse sounds. It jumps all over the map, but it's all very accomplished sounding while still having kind of a prankish juvenile feel to it. It's really amazing that they came out of you know nowhere. Then their next album was The Pod, which sounds much more like their demo tapes in that it's just a <laughs> bunch of sludgy weirdness. There's some good songs on there, but it's it's weird. Somehow, though, a major label heard this and said, we got to get us some of that and Mm -hmm. signed them. My theory is just because this was like the early 90s when this happened. Mm -hmm. And the early 90s were a time where like Nirvana got big, all these grunge bands got big. And every record label's like, I don't know why kids like this stuff. I have no idea what's going on. Let's just sign every band we can. And hope that one of them is the next Nirvana. Every band we don't understand. <laughs> like, this is mm-hmm. like how you end up with bands like Mr. Bungle got on a major label. Primus got on a major label. And it's like, these the are bands Meldens. that never. Yeah. <laughs> like, none of this stuff would have happened, like, had Nirvana not broken big and record labels were, like, panicking, trying to find the next big thing. Yeah, it's awesome. So they put out their major label debut, Pure Guava, which the record label had to just be furious because it's a bunch of lo-fi nonsense, yet it somehow had a minor hit on it in the form of uh, Push the Little Daisies, which I hear it was a minor hit, but I've never heard it on the radio. I'm guessing it was a hit like... There's another one that was on Beavis and Butthead. That song actually makes me physically ill. Like, it's just hard to listen to. <laughs> I know we're making this sound, but this band sound really appealing <laughs> to the listeners at home who don't know this band. They're great, though. They're they're irritating as hell, but in a way that is also just so much fun and you have so much to gain. I promise that we're going to get to some really, like, you know, quiet, charming music soon. So after this, they finally put out the album Chocolate and Cheese, the one with the boobtacular album cover we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Under boobtacular, to be specific. Yes. Yes. <laughs> where this is where kind of what you'd think of as like the traditional ween sound, which as much as there is one kind of crystallizes. It's a bunch of different songs and a bunch of different genres performed well with stupid lyrics that don't make any sense. And it's just a bunch of weirdness, like with their lyrics. Then after this album was, you know, kind of a hit, well, not kind of a hit. I mean, it was more successful than their previous albums because it had songs on it that normal people could listen to. Right. They kind of split and made two albums kind of around the same time. One was that country album we mentioned earlier, 12 Golden Country Greats, which has 10 songs on it. So who knows? Well, the 12 are the band members, right? Yeah. I've heard that, but. I don't I don't know if that's apocryphal <laughs> like or also like I know there was like two outtakes from the sessions like they recorded 12 songs, but they cut two of them, but kept the name like anything is plausible when it comes to Wayne. So, right. <laughs> who knows? The other two are uh, the other two are just the brothers Wayne. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which at that point. They they were starting to, you know, I saw an interview with uh, Dean Wien. There's a great oral history of the mollusk that we'll link in the show notes that is um, very much uh, worth checking out, where they talk about how at this point they kind of felt like they were losing control of their band a little bit because, you know, they were getting bigger, they were getting more musicians. like So they basically got rid of everybody, 
rented a beach house in Jersey, like on the Jersey shore and cut this album, The Mollusk, which is generally considered to be their best album by a lot of people. Uh, I know Dean Ween says it's their best album. He says it's the only album he's ever put out that he's completely happy with. And it's a very interesting album. Like, the general word on it is that it's got a nautical theme or a prog rock theme, which is kind of true. There's lots of, like, ocean references and sea creature references and stuff like that. But there's also, you know... It doesn't just do that. It takes all kinds of weird diversions into country and folk and straight up nonsense and children's tunes. And it's very hard to pin the whole thing down, but the whole album works very well. It's a really good record that um, if you have an adventurous you know, musical palette and are fine with intentional dissonance or weirdness or incredibly either nonsensical or puerile lyrics, which uh, if you're going to listen to Ween, you have to be okay with either nonsensical or puerile lyrics because you're going to get plenty of both. <laughs> um, then it's definitely a really, you know, good album, well worth checking out, which uh, we would presume that's why you're listening to us today because you're interested in hearing us talk about it because that's what we're about to do. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go into track one. I'll be dancing in the show tonight. So obviously, that's not really what you would be expecting buying this album. <laughs> yeah, definitely my reaction. That was my reaction when I first bought this album, where it's a piano-driven show tune with like dissonant vocals like out of tune, and it's not what I would call good, certainly, but it's kind of in line <laughs> with uh, Ween have kind of a... I don't know, this is going to sound pretentious, but kind of a prankster-ish spirit. They've done this before. They've opened their albums with just weird songs that would be off-putting. And uh, that um, is definitely what they've done here. Uh, according to Dean, this was an old ballet record that um, mm -hmm. that her sister used to practice with like when they were kids. And for whatever reason, they decided to cover it and make a weird dissonant album opener out of it. I can't explain why. I'm guessing they thought it was funny. Yeah, and we actually dug that up from YouTube, right? It's a Gala PV's Are My Ears On Straight. I can play a clip of it. Yeah, yeah it? go for why it. do that. Are my ears on straight? Is my nose in place? Have I got a cute expression on my face? Are my blue eyes bright? Do I look all right to be taken home Christmas Day? It's creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. It sounds pretty creepy even there. So. I, I think it's creepier in the original. Like, we somehow, <laughs> even even with that collection of, like, sped up and slowed down vocals, which seemingly randomly bounce between the two, it's less creepy than the original. I don't know. To me, this song is hilarious because, the, yeah, like uh, this album is regularly cited as Ween's masterwork. And then it opens right. with the stupidest song. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which creates a cognitive dissonance for me. I, I always have to warn new listeners about this song as much as I love it. Because <laughs> I, I do love it. I love the pizzicatos. I love the sort of like, you know, Disney sing-along feel to it. And um, it's honestly surprisingly atmospheric for such a stupid lark. Yeah. I My, my friend uh, Jim and I, when we both worked on the high school paper together, we would play albums that we knew would irritate our teacher, who was this 22-year-old cheerleading coach who never shut up about the verve pipe. Um, we would just try to see really? how far... Yeah, she she went to school with the verve pipe. So You know, the verve pipe plays children's music now. Seriously? Really? Wow. Yeah, they actually came to Ann Arbor. Uh, well, it, it, they came to the Ark. Uh, they performed there. They performed their children's set there. Oh, dear. Anyway, Jim and I would, at any rate, try to see how far into the album we could get before she'd tell us to shut it off. And, like, with... Uh, Yola Tingo's, uh, I can hear the heart beating is one we got all the way to Spec Bebop. That's impressive. Wow. Yeah. Soul Coughing's Irresistible Bliss, we got to four out of five. The Mollusk, we got about 40 seconds in, thanks to this song. And it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you insist, but the next song is so delightful. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we were just happy. because we. That's a happy story. She, she hated us and we hated her. That, that is a happy story. <laughs> Yeah, so I had my uh, local or neighborhood record store owner special order this album for me. And uh, when it came in, I went to the store to pick it up, and he was kind of curious about winging. He said, hey, do you mind if I put this on and kind of hear what it sounds like? So he put it on, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound like the dark art rock album I was expecting. And he was like, huh, is this what they usually sound like? And I was like, I, I, kind of? I <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, if you, if you look at the album cover for this thing, it was designed by Storm Thurgason yeah. or Thurgason or however you pronounce his name. Like the guy who did like the dark side of the moon and like, you know, all those like classic 70s album covers. And he designed the cover for this one, too, because he thought that like, you know, Ween were like such a great band that he requested to personally design it. And he thought they were like the future of music. And, you know, take that story in mind when you start playing. I'm dancing in the show tonight. <laughs> Will do. Well, so uh, let's move on to track two. This is this is the title track. This is the mollusk. So this one's a little bit more of a real song. This is the first real song on the record. Um, I'll be dancing in the show tonight is really, really offended by that, Phil. I know. It's like it's, it's got its defenders, like the people who think that it's Ween's greatest track. So this is, you know, the kind of thing that people talk about when they talk about the nautical theme of this album, because I mean, the lyrics are nonsense. I mean, if the lyrics are about anything at all other than like, intentionally pompous over-the-top nonsense then i can't figure out what it is but there's all kinds of references to sea creatures and stuff like that and a very kind of like one thing about this album is that a lot of the songs on this album are in kind of a three-quarter waltz time which kind of with the way they arrange the music here kind of gives it i don't know kind of a seafaring sound yeah but this song also has you know 
a bit of a prog rock feel, especially when you get to the keyboard solo later on in it, which is a very 70s prog rock tone to it. It doesn't sound like a keyboard solo that you would hear in an album that came out in 1997, certainly. Yeah, I think uh, Glenn McClellan, their their keyboardist, is... Uh, I, f- I forget what artist he's performed with before them, if it was anybody... So Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah? yeah? Really? Yeah, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I did not know that. <laughs> Strangely enough. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've lost everything I was about to say because that has just <laughs> blown my mind. I didn't, but yeah, he's he's fantastic. He joined the band with this album. He just I guess uh, met Diener in a bar and they they hit it off. We've been with them ever since. So yeah, I love this song. It's beautiful, though. To me, it's still somewhat in the novelty vein. Uh, just those call and response vocals are just so like over the top and ridiculous. <laughs> and I don't see novelty as a bad thing, but there's definitely like a. I guess we'll explore this more. There's sort of a line with Ween between like novelty music and this this weird moment where they suddenly become sincere. And I don't think they quite cross it here. <laughs> it's weird because it's like a lot of this album is what I would call intentionally stupid. Mm-hmm. Like with some of like the way like the vocal, like Gene singing in this weird voice. Smartly stupid. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Like, uh, uh, this happens on some of their other songs, too, uh, on on their other albums. But Gene, like, renders a lot of their prettier songs kind of goofy by singing them like a giant cartoon sea creature, which I guess <laughs> is in keeping with the themes of the album here. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I'm being kind of negative on the song, which I do love. It has an amazing keyboard solo. And um, in regards to the lyrics, I was looking on Genius, and there's, a, there's an upvoted contribution that like refers to like how, according to tradition, while walking along a beach, St. Augustine is said to have had a revelation regarding the incomprehensibility of the Holy Trinity after seeing a child digging a hole in the sand with a scallop, a type of mollusk shell, and using the shell to fill the hole with water. Wow. What? Yeah. And then Augustine realized that his attempts to understand the Trinity were as futile as the kid's attempt to fit the whole ocean in his hole. Sorry. Yeah. So again, this comes from Genius, and um, and Genius is kind of like you know the Wikipedia of lyric sites, except with a way looser culture. And they're probably going to send me like hate mail just for saying that on some random podcast. But <laughs> just just knowing what I've heard about Genius, that's but, amazing. Yeah. I had never heard any of that. That's terrific. But yeah, that's a pretty terrific uh, origin story, if the case. It seems. I get like with Ween, any <laughs> saying it's plausible is. Pretty much as concrete as I think you're going to get as far as sincerity or legitimate provenance of any of their lyrics. Well, I feel like Ween have a tendency to, they don't sing emotional lyrics very much because I think they kind of have a policy of if they're not feeling specific emotions, they don't fake it. So a lot of their lyrics are, I think, just really whatever came to their head or whatever they felt fit the music, whether or not it actually makes any kind of literal sense. Yeah, I, I mean, they certainly don't don't seem like they're they're ever trying to bullshit you on anything. Like if they ever have, like, I feel like if when we do love songs, which they do, they seem pretty sincere because they're not writing them if they're not. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Dan, what do you think of the song? Um, I really don't have anything smart to add to it, but I love it though. I think it's one of the best songs in the album. That keyboard solo, is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, what instrument is it? Is it imitating? Because I was like, what's the what keyboard solo? Oh, yeah, no, that's not a real instrument right there. 
<laughs> it's like a French horn or something. Yeah, it's got a brassy kind of tone to it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Okay, well, uh, unless anyone has anything else, uh, let's move on to track three, Polka Dot Tail. Did you ever see a whale with a polka dot tail? Did you ever see a man with eight fingers on his hand? Did you have to dry your eye when you saw that puppy fly? So Dean described this one as a children's song, which, you know, that's about as apt a description as any. It's got a very silly kind of set of nonsense lyrics. Like, I don't have kids, but I can imagine that if I did have kids, it's the kind of silly, nonsensey song that they'd like. Lyrics about whales with polka dot tails and, you know, kind of a wacky kind of stop and start waltz rhythm yeah second waltz on the album yep second <laughs> one but i figure this is also a good place to point out like you know a lot of people describe this as like ween's prog album mm-hmm. but it's filled with songs like this which are not really prog rock they could be played by you know kind of anybody like it's pretty simple and you know fun but not like i don't think this would be at an emerson lake and palmer concert <laughs> But yeah, it's not my favorite song on the record or anything, but, you know, it's fun. It adds to the atmosphere. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, um, this song kind of befuddled me at first. But uh, I mean, the more I listen to it, the more I feel like it's kind of the first really tonally successful exploration of the album's nautical themes, just in terms of just like the pure sonic experience of listening to it. Um, and I just I just love the sound of it. It feels like it's dragging a peg leg across the floor or something. Um, yeah it also has strangely evocative lyrics and strange ones for a kid's song like have you ever tried to sink like an ice cube in the sink and um, have you ever made a flan and squished it in your hand like that's just i don't know that's such like uh that's kind of disgusting imagery but also just very like impressionistic (laughs) to me um and uh i don't know like uh, the song is kind of like whatever in terms of melody but i i like it as an experience i found this funny quote today um i was I was reading when I was researching this, I, I happened to cross an interview that uh, Ween did with the AV Club and they asked him, why hasn't Ween made a children's record? And uh, Giner answered, our music generally appeals to children and retarded people. Oh. So I which <laughs> is not the wokest horrible. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's also pretty much a Ween answer. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, to me, this sounds like Yellow Submarine with more drugs. <laughs> the slowed down, clanky acoustic guitar kind of gives it that vibe and the kind of bubbling nautical sound effects. There's a lot of Ween that is just kind of a drug multiplier on other music. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. is. It's They do a lot of songs where it seems like they're having, they're amusing themselves at the audience's uh, expense, just in terms <laughs> of like false endings, like on chocolate and cheese, it was the song "Candy." On the pod, it was Molly. They just stop, and then there's like three <laughs> seconds of silence, and then it starts back up again, just for the hell of it. <laughs> just like it's dragging its muffler along the pavement, shooting sparks out at us. That's that's the vibe I get here. Okay, well, let's go on to track four. I'll uh, I'll be your Johnny on the spot. This is a strange one.
So here we have uh, Ween clearly breaking from both the prog rock feel and the nautical theme by making this kind of weird new wave song with these weird dispassionate vocals like that. He's just kind of saying it like he couldn't care less about uh, what the lyrics are. And that's Diener on vocals, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's Diener. And it's um, it's a total break from the album, which is not a problem here because I think it, you know, cause there's a bunch of nautical kind of waltzy songs around and this just kind of is kind of a jarring wake up in the middle of it. It's also it's got a blues structure in the lyrics, kind of. Yeah, I just noticed that this time. Right. So it's kind of like a weird blues, electronic, weird thing that the type that we like to slam into their records. Now, um, this one is actually a staple of their live shows where they'll jam it out for a really, you know, a pretty long time with lots <laughs> of solos, which That's um, amazing. seems like, you know, pretty good time to talk about Ween as a live band, which I talked about a little earlier in the episode. They're an extremely strong live band. Um, and if you get a chance to see them, I would highly recommend doing so. But they'll take even like their weirdest songs and like turn them into, you know, with their live band, like these like shredding guitar things or these weird sing-alongs or they're a huge amount of fun to see live where they'll take even songs like this, which is just a two minute long. I don't want to say filler because it's got its place on the album, but it's clearly not intended to be like one of their best songs. <laughs> And they'll turn it into like a big, like rousing live staple out of nowhere. Yeah. At the um, at the aforementioned live show that I went to shirtless, uh, there was actually music played there. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really great. Like, uh, well, it was it was a two and a half hour set. And we just, you know, they pulled from the entire catalog, pulled a lot of deep cuts. And at one point, Bernie Worrell from Parliament funkadelic like came out and performed the keyboard solo on Pandy Thackler. Oh, from wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He just walked. I know it was crazy. So uh, I've only been to one Ween show, but I'm one for one as far as like great experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I've only been to one, too. And I they did. Handy Fackler was the longest one. Uh, it, the show I went to as well, but it wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah, I've been to two and one of the shows was fantastic. The other one was a bit phoned in. I think they have a tendency to kind of maybe hitting it really hard in one city and then the next city kind of recuperating. And I think we were the recuperating maybe. stop. And I think for a while there, um, Gene was having some fairly severe drug problems, yeah. Yeah. which was causing some uh, some vast inconsistency in their live sets. Yeah, there was a particularly infamous show in Vancouver, I believe. Yeah, it was Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, let's let's get back to the song. Um, yeah, that's there. probably best. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my take on it is that like, um, I don't know, uh, just when you think the album is settling into a groove, like it, this song pops out and it feels almost like a commercial break advertising a different Ween album, uh, in particular Chocolate and Cheese, which is just like all over the map in terms of styles. It sounds like um, it's right from that album. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would never put the song on by itself, but it is a pretty good example of how the album keeps you on your toes. And like Phil said, I like that it's this jarring EDM song in blues form. <laughs> Yeah, I like this one a lot, actually. And I think it's placeable well on the album because it kind of sort of is a good spike of energy when you kind of need one. Right. And it kind of starts to steer the album into kind of darker territory, especially where it's going with the next song. Yeah, the Diener's, or rather Diener's solo on it, uh, 
I consulted Mike DeFabio, our uh, producer slash engineer slash editor slash orthodontist about the uh, tone because it in the uh, the oral history that uh, Phil referred to earlier, he says that it it's played through a ring modulator and that just didn't seem like enough of a an app description and might confirm that there's no way that it's just a ring modulator. It's got to be like the ring modulator plus wah-wah pedal plus synth filter plus phaser or whatever else. It sounds like a like a mouth harp ping-ponging through interdimensional portals or something. It's just the strangest guitar solo tone I've ever heard. It's amazing. That's a terrific description, Will. Oh, yes. thank you. <laughs> Um, anyone have any further thoughts on, I'll be your Johnny on the spot. Oh, anybody else Google what a Mopar cam is? I did not. <laughs> I, I do not care about cars. So no, I didn't know if that's what it was. It's, it's like, it's a camshaft apparently. Yeah. I did not know. I'd, I'd heard <laughs> my dad works for general motors. So I'd sort of absorb the term by osmosis, but <laughs> yeah, car is about as far as it ever gets with me. So, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to track five. This is mutilated lips. Love that title. Yeah. like thing you just heard was apparently the record label's first choice for a single off of this album. <laughs> I'm for it. <laughs> Which uh when the record label said that to um Dean basically said, "What's wrong with you? This is a great song, but it's not a single. It's a weird, you know, dirge and it doesn't really have a chorus so much as it has just a chant." So um, Dean said that was the point where he realized that this record was probably not going to get very far commercially. Was it was Casey Kasem still broadcasting at that point? Uh, I'm just trying to imagine him <laughs> saying mutilated lips. <laughs> but this one is even more so than the rest of the album. Like this one's got real what lyrics. I mean, you can't. It may be the weirdest one on here. Yeah, it opens with I lick my brain in silence and it just goes on from that. But um this is a great song. Um, this one, it's got a very unusual chord sequence. It's got a very kind of dreamy feel to it. It feels kind of like you're floating. It has kind of, again, like really paints a picture of, you know, being like exploring like, you know, an area that's like deep underwater or something like, you know, like Meridia from uh, Super Metroid which will be my one video game reference this week, and I will, <laughs> I will hold to that. You get two, Phil. 
Okay, cool. I got an extra one in the tank. Yeah, you're the host this week. You get two when you're the host, but if you only get one when you're not the host. Excellent. But yeah, the yeah. lyrics where they're talking about like tentacles expanding in my mind and fresh brine and, you know, weirdly like nautically themed lyrics, even though they don't have any kind of concrete meaning. But I do love like, you know, it's odd little chord sequence. It's dreamy keyboard solos like it's got a great guitar solo in it it's just very interesting song i think it's pretty great yeah as far as i'm concerned this is the first song on the album that really really floors me just as a piece of composition though i mean obviously there's been like you know great ones beforehand but um, the title track definitely comes close um, just in particular, like Phil said, I love the chord sequence and the chorus because, you know, who else would write a chorus like that? I can't think of another band that would produce a chorus like the one oh, in no. Mutilated Lips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that is um, so um, uh, doing some more digging around. I, I've seen theories that the song was apparently written completely on LSD. So each each part of the song kind of like, you know, flows from one part of the other, I guess, in an acid like fashion or is uh, is my understanding of the song's like construction. And uh, I don't know. One thing I like about that is that channeled through one brain like that gives you mutilated lips and channeled through another brain that gives you Christopher Cross's Ride Like the Wind, which was also written on acid. (laughs) But is much more top 40 ready. <laughs> yeah, and all, the only other thing I'll say is that Diener has a really fun instructional guitar video on YouTube for this song, which I'll make sure to put in the show notes. And it's a good reminder that Diener is in his 40s and looks and acts like a dad at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can fish with him now. Oh, yeah, yeah. he's oh, yeah. got his own fishing service. You can go like on a fishing expedition with Dean Ween. Yeah, I was thinking of mentioning that, but I don't want people who listen to that to this podcast, if we have an audience yet, to like think they can go and like you know fish with Dean Ween and like he'll just want to talk with them about Ween. Yeah, it it seems like he mostly wants people to shut up about it when they go out to fish. <laughs> yeah, so people listening to this podcast, if you go fish with Dean Ween, don't talk about Ween. Yeah. Just go fishing. Talk about the Moist Boys, right? <laughs> yeah, he loves the Moist Boys. <laughs> That would be Dean Ween's other uh, side project for uh, those who aren't up on Ween member side projects. <laughs> the thing I find interesting about uh, the lyrics to this song, in spite of, like, or rather, in addition to the uh, all the nautical references that, that Phil and Richard mentioned, is that it's odd to hear uh, Giner mention Haile Selassie, who's the sort of Rastafarian messiah figure, because... They're, they're a band that draws on a lot of specific references musically. Like you can tell if they're if they're referring to Prince or Thin Lizzy or Devo or whoever. But lyrically, unlike uh, the Dead Milkmen or They Might Be Giants, who we've already mentioned, they their lyrics hardly ever mention cultural references that exist in the real world. They just sort of have their own characters, like the Stallion and the Boognish. And they come up with their own vocabulary words, like like brown, like in this song, referring to just weird, weird. That's that's probably the. <laughs> I probably don't need to add any additional synonyms to just weird for that. Yeah, I was I was thinking when you mentioned that 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 does seem like a more like they might be giant sort of lyric to write. Like, yeah, uh, just this just weird obscure historical reference that they connect to something emotional or I don't right. know. Right. We'll yeah, get to TMBG to, eventually. Right. I was trying to think of any other uh, like pop culture or even cultural references from them. And the only other thing I could think of off the top of my head was uh, Wayne's Pet Youngin from God Ween Satan, 
where they refer to uh, rerun from good times. Oh, they mentioned two Chewbacca's and um, what's that song? God, Wayne Satan. Uh, Papa's it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's two of them. <laughs> I just got the name of the title Papa Zit. I am so stupid. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I'm glad at 34 I finally got that. <laughs> now, anyway, another fun uh, YouTube uh, wormhole for you. There's a uh, performance of them doing this on MTV's Oddville. You know, this their new hot single. Oh, really? Where they're, uh, they got like the cast kind of like slow dancing as they're playing this. And it's kind of a fun little clip. Very short lived show, but it was kind of fun. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on. This is a surly one. This is the Blarney Stone. <laughs> basically a dumb sea shanty complete with um you know it was recorded at, at a party at uh gene's apartment where they just kind of screwed around and had you can hear people talking in the background it basically sounds like a bunch of pirates like singing a sea shanty but it's not just like a little like interlude or something there's a whole song of it where again like if they play it when they play it live this thing will go on for like eight to ten minutes i, I imagine them just doing that with all of their songs yeah, not all of them, but some of them. But like often it's like the silliest ones. Like this one gets like mm-hmm. really long extended live workouts. The song is, uh, as you might have guessed from the, um, you know, clip we played, a tad on the misogynistic side. <laughs> In this case, though, like it bothers me less than it otherwise would, because clearly like the joke is that it's so over the top. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to do us, if you're going to do a nautical kind of album and you're going to do like a dumb drunken sea shanty well that's what it's going to be so yeah they wouldn't get away with it today though if they released like the mollusk like in 2018 and released this song like it would it would not fare well no yeah but this is the band of the hiv song (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah ween is not a band for for the late 2010s unfortunately but um Basically, I mean, this isn't the best song on the album or anything. I mean, it's it's badly recorded on purpose. Like, it's just, you know, got a party atmosphere to it. But, you know, it's fine. It's fun. It's got an accordion. That's unusual. I like accordions. I have a friend that I'll see maybe once or twice a year. And, like, every time I'm at a party with this guy, he will attempt to, like, start a sing-along of the Blarney Stone which I will join in and then everybody else will look at us like we're crazy because nobody else knows ween album tracks. <laughs> so for me, um, yeah, having never heard a Pogue song that I can name, this is just what I imagine the Pogue sound like. Uh, but for me, the Blarney Stone is like, it's really fun. It really adds to the atmosphere of the album. It's uh, and like Phil mentioned before, like a number of ween songs, the misogyny is unfortunate. And uh, I think uh, actually we wanted to get a little bit into that because uh, uh, 
personally, like uh, as I alluded to earlier, I've had a zero percent success rate in terms of significant others and Ween, like in terms of like you know getting them into the band, um, and in part like uh, with my current with my wife. Uh, I was about to say my current wife. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry, Jen. In part, um, in, in part, my wife initially knew a lot of their catalog by way of my roommate Garrett, who would recite numerous selections from their Godween Satan album from memory, especially the song "Nan," which uh, is just this like <laughs> you know, incredibly profane rant. You know what? I saw you yesterday walking with Danny. He's a fucker, and you a fucker too. You know what you did to me, baby? Yeah, you know what you did. Now you're walking with Danny down the street. How you make me feel, huh? How you think I make me feel, huh? Huh? You think I like it here, you fucko? You fuckin' bitch. I hate you. So she doesn't really have like the best like you know initial impression of them as funny as those recitations were. But um, on top of that, like. Uh, Every time I try to demonstrate that Ween like have a sincere like smart side, uh, just I don't know. There's always something like off putting about it. Like uh, apparently my wife finds Ween very stressful to listen to. Um, but uh, I know that I know Phil in particular. You have a very different experience though um, with your wife and Ween. Right. We actually slow danced to a Ween song as the first dance at our wedding. It was not the Blarney Stone. Uh, no. Interesting <laughs> as that would have been. A waltz. <laughs> it was Stay Forever from their follow-up album to this, White Pepper, which is probably their most normal and accessible album. Most of the songs on that one are actually pretty easygoing, at least by Ween standards. But, you know, we played it for the people at our wedding and nobody thought it was weird. Any other thoughts on the Blarney Stone? It's fun. I mean, it's, you know, not a one I would pick out just at random, but uh, at this point in the album, I think it's a fun little addition. And uh, yeah, I don't mind the, uh, <laughs> the, the the naughty lyrics. Okay, well, uh, if we're done here, let's, uh, let's move on to track seven. This is, it's going to be parentheses, all right. And the parentheses are important. Baby, what have I done? Gonna left you all alone. It's hard for me to sing this song. We've been together for so long. Speaking of, you know, lean songs that are pretty straightforward and won't sound objectionable to, you know, random people like encountering it, there's this song, 
which is basically just a straightforward, very pretty kind of an adult contemporary song. Like the lyrics have no jokes. Gene sings the song, you know, in a very straightforward, pretty way. The lyrics are about a breakup he was going through. You'd almost forget you're listening to Ween here for a second because it's such a normal song. It's a very good song. It's very pretty. The most noteworthy odd thing about it is probably kind of the odd percussion because it sounds, again, very adult contemporary percussion-y. Like, I don't know if it's a drum machine or um, what it is that's producing that, but this one's also completely out of theme with, you know, any of the nautical stuff because they can't stick to that. Like, this is just a straight-up, just adult contemporary ballad, which is, you know, pretty. Like, it's not my favorite song on the record, but I certainly never skip it. It's very nice. Yeah, this is a really just beautiful, straightforward song. I th- I think of this as kind of the no-frills ween sound that we so rarely get to hear. Like, if you subtract all of the genre experience and, like, you know, just uh, poop jokes and everything, this is essentially, like, the, the default ween sound. And it's a, it's not bad. Uh, I mean, we rarely get to hear it. And um, the only joke is in the title with, uh, you know, having the all right in parentheses, uh, which I think is, I, I'm not sure if this is the case, but I see it as sort of a, a reverse proclaimers reference, you know, like, I'm going to be parentheses 500 miles. Um, Anyway, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say about the song is that, like, I think Ween has about an album's worth or more of terrific and completely sincere pop music um, along these lines. Like, uh, Phil mentioned Stay Forever, which is one of their best songs. Um, And I think that we should compile and share it as a Spotify playlist. Yeah, this is one that I've kind of come to appreciate over time. Because I think when I first heard this album, I kind of wasn't sure of their intentions with this song. Because it was so kind of straightforward that it almost seemed... Like, what are they getting at with this? There must be some kind of... What's the gag? Exactly, yeah. But um, but now I kind of just take it for what it is. It almost kind of predicts what they would do on, like, Quebec with the more kind of straightforward, serious, heartfelt songs. Okay, well, this is track eight, The Golden Eel. song i heard when i saw Ween live before you know i had i really knew who they were that really made me sit up and take notice about this band because this is a really great song this one's really is just a majestic prog rock song with you know crashing drums like a great guitar solo weird lyrics but they're not like super off-putting lyrics it's definitely in my opinion one of ween's all-time best songs like easily like in their very top tier oh absolutely and um this one was literally according to the oral history of ween 
Gene's roommate had a golden eel that he kept in an aquarium and they took a bunch of hallucinogens and watched it. And that's it. There seems to be a common thread linking this album. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not sure what it is. So it really is just about them sitting alone and watching the eel, as the lyrics suggest. But this song also has just an incredibly great buildup. Like as yeah. it has, you know, it goes through its couple of verses and then it gets real quiet and goes into just a really like fantastic like instrumental solo section where it, you know, starts very quiet and builds to a huge crashing finale. just a fantastically composed guitar solo section and like the way the guitar keeps on doing interesting things when the chorus comes back in there it's just yeah i could talk about it all day it's just a really (laughs) great song yeah that that guitar effect it really it really feels like it's sliding across the floor to me and it and and the chorus just completely fills the room it's this is like one of the masterworks of the album for me one of the there, there are three for me, and this is the second one yeah. um, after mut- after mutilated lips. Um, and you, you, you all know what the third one is going to be. But pink eye on my leg. <laughs> yep, of course. <laughs> anyway, so this this song it's a, it's got it's got more jokey, grandiose lyrics. But again, I think this one transcends novelty. And I, I say that as, as it, again as if novelty is a bad thing. As if I didn't as if like two people here didn't see Weird Al within the last four months. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's that's all I really have to say about this one. Yeah, this song is kind of what I was more expecting when I bought the album, because my introduction to this album was actually them playing this song on Comedy Central's Viva Variety, another short-lived show Wayne appeared on in 1997. I had no idea they were on that. That's uh, I've, I've watched that exactly once when They Might Be Giants were on it. And it was, um, it yeah, was great. I, want, like, I would have watched it twice if I'd known that Ween was <laughs> going to do an episode. I'm kind of interested to revisit it just because I've gotten more into the state and just, you know, everything that the cast members have been in. Yeah, I feel like I'd right. get the joke more now. Yeah, I saw it at the time and it was like, baby needs a shave. And right. I didn't, I didn't get to the whole idea of the show. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this, this is the, probably one of the best songs in the album for me. Just great use of dynamics. And again, just the... Full bore prog. Mm-hmm. It's prog AF. Yeah. But I guess like one cool thing about Ween when they do prog is that they get bring in all these like prog elements, but the songs are still like three or four minutes long. Yeah, they're prog junior. <laughs> On the studio albums anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are prog bands that like, you know, produce little like four minute songs that have uh, in the prog spirit. Like, what is it? Premiata, Formiera, Marconi, PFM. Yeah. Um, Gentle Giant. Well, and Robert Pollard yeah. kind of does that, too. Sometimes he'll do like a four minute epic. Yeah, sometimes. that's true. It's proggy. That's a good point. I'm sure we will cover yeah. him at some point. <laughs> yes. We're going to cover the entirety of recorded music at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Ween is merely the beginning of a fantastic journey. <laughs> As a wise man named Coolio once said. 
come on and ride on this fantastic voyage. <laughs> well, let's continue the voyage with track nine, Cold Blows the Wind. See, Amanda, I'm good at segues, too. <laughs> So if you think that that sounds like kind of a traditional folk song, then you're right. It is a traditional folk song, likely dating from the 1400s from England. In the liner notes to this album, uh, it's referred to as a, quote, traditional Chinese spiritual, but that's not even slightly right. That's just them messing around because, well, they're ween and that's what they're going to do, even with, you know, a song this like serious and dark. Yeah, they were high. That was the contribution of drugs to this song. <laughs> right. So this was actually the first song that they recorded for the mollusk. And they did it on the first night when they were, <laughs> you know, recording it. And they said, um, I actually have a quote here from the oral history of Ween, where Diener says, and when he says Aaron here, that is Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Gene Ween. Aaron had a songbook of 17th century folk songs. The first night we did Cold Blows the Wind. Neither of us had ever heard of this song, so we didn't know how it went. We looked at the words and we made up our own chords and tempos. If there's any one song that defines that record, it's that song. And we did it on the first night. It totally encapsulated that stormy first night at the beach. It was raining, dark, and cold. It sounded nautical, scary, folky, and evil. And I think that actually sums it up uh, pretty well. This is me again and not Diener. Um, <laughs> that sums it up real well. This is actually one of my favorite songs on this record. I've always loved it. I love its, you know, dark atmosphere. I like how it kind of sways back and forth. I love how I don't know if it's actually a Mellotron, but there's a kind of a woozy keyboard in this that sounds like a Mellotron. The whole thing just feels like, you know, being caught in a storm and just this gloomy, evil cloud being over, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I've heard quite a few different versions of this over the years. It's been covered by a lot of people. But hmm. Ween's version is actually probably my favorite, even done by more, quote, serious musicians. It's Ween play it totally straight. Yep. And it's just gorgeous. There have been many different arrangements of this over the years. The one I've selected is um, 70s folk prog band Griffin, who started as a straightforward, you know, medieval folk band before eventually becoming a prog band. But their first album was entirely folk songs, like performed on traditional instruments. And they did an arrangement of this song under its original title, which is The Unquiet Grave. I think that's its original name anyway. Yeah. That's what it's usually referred to as, but I've seen it as Cold Blows the Wind and, and a couple other titles. So like a lot of traditional folk songs, a lot of that stuff's kind of up in the air. 
cold blows the wind to my true love And gently drops the rain I only had but one true love And in greenwood she lies slain I'll do as much for my true love As any young man may I'll sit and mourn along her grave For a twelve-month and a day Within two albums, Griffin were doing a four-track instrumental album about a chess game. <laughs> okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so they got proggier than prog fast. <laughs> well, so so Cold Blows the Wind. Uh, I mean, person, I think it's really pretty. It's personally never really stuck with me. I, though, I mean, learning more about it from uh, from you, Phil, I actually I, I appreciate it a lot more. But I do think it's very thematically appropriate to include a traditional folk ballad and very, very ween to misattribute it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and and I um I like that it also also that it gradually gets louder and more sonically dense as the song goes along, especially because like as we'll see soon, the tension releases into such a completely nothing track. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that soon. Yeah, I've I I came across it uh, independently on an album called Whatever Mortal by uh, Papa M, which is uh, the project of David Pajo, who is in uh, Slint and Tortoise. Hmm. And who I saw open for Super Furry Animals once. And he he does it more like the Griffin style. And I just could not have been less impressed with it after hearing Cold Blows the Wind on, on the Mollusk. Because he, do, he does it the very straightforward, very kind of uh, uptight, like it's a, like he's wearing a, a corset sort of with, yeah. with, with whale boning appropriately enough for this album. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we just really get at the darkness of it. I think yeah. better than any version of it I've heard. Right. Exactly. Yeah, they put they put more more of a an emotional vibe into it for such a a, a band who indulges so much in irony and humor so often. They really are not afraid to delve into this sort of thing. I mean, it's a traditional folk song, but they don't sound like they're just doing like a traditional folk song academically. They really put their hearts into it. Right. In a way, they frequently don't do with a lot of their original material. Like, they took <laughs> this and played it just deadly serious and emotional. Mm-hmm. And they really create a mood with it, too. Yeah, it's got, it's probably got, for me, the the most impressive melodies on the, the entire... Or not melodies, rather. Harmonies is what I intended to say. Mm-hmm. Anything from you, Dan? No, that's another one where I kind of, like, early on didn't really moved me a whole lot but over the years it's kind of revealed itself more especially the build up with the the big keyboard kind of slow gradual dynamic build i guess i also i've long had kind of a um weakness for kind of old like folk music type things like i love you know steel eye span and fairport convention so i tend to like this kind of stuff a lot in general so Steel Ice Band came before Steely Dan, right? Because the, indeed their name, they did. Their name seems designed to confuse Steely Dan fans. That one always puzzled me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's say uh, let's let's get on to the next song, the uh, the sort of nothing track we I referred to earlier. This is Pink Eye on My Leg.
<laughs> yeah, there's there's my dog. There's Goose. Yeah, I just want to note that while we were listening to that song, Will's uh, Will's actual dog uh, joined in. Yeah, on the even though even though I'm wearing headphones, he somehow picked up on it. Well, you know, he just uh, it was the dog chi or something. Yeah, <laughs> he's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Phil, <laughs> back to you. So after two like really dark, serious songs in the Golden Eel and uh, Cold Blows the Wind. It's a very ween move to follow it up with just a really, really dumb instrumental. Because, like, this song is, it's an <laughs> instrumental. Like, it's just, you know, a simple groove with, like, goofy keyboard sounds over it. Eventually, there's dogs barking. There's, um, the climax of the song is just a guy repeatedly going, uh, <laughs> over it. It's, like I've said before, it's intentionally stupid. I believe um, in the oral history of Ween that I keep, uh, the oral history of the mollusk, rather, that I keep on referencing, Dean didn't even have much to say about it. Here's the entirety of what he had to say about this track. Quote, this is an instrumental, so I don't really have any good stories about that one. I think those dogs would take an issue with it being called an instrumental. They they, they contribute some very spirited vocals. It's the most dog lid song since Seamus off of, um, or Seamus or whatever, off Pink Floyd's Metal. Mm-hmm. Or that one on the Flaming Lips album, I forget. Um, I feel like I've already talked about it too long because it's a nothing <laughs> track. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's a it's a breather. Like yeah. it, it comes in after some real heavy songs. So on this podcast, we're going to build something out of even the most nothing tracks, including Pink Eye on My Leg. <laughs> um, so to me, this song feels less like a commercial break, like uh, I'll be your Johnny on the spot and more like the, uh, you know, the please stand by technical difficulties message of the album. <laughs> but the drunk cameraman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like on The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're all picturing the same, <laughs> the same card. Yeah, we're, we're trained to just automatically, like, you know, recognize any, yeah. like, vaguely Simpsons reference. Yeah. You should all know that Rich has given us the instruction to avoid Simpsons references on this as much as possible, <laughs> because in the practice episodes, that's all it was. <laughs> Me avoid Simpsons references? That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it sometimes. It's just that, you know, I just spent two years in grad school with a lot of people who are about eight years younger than me. None of them got Simpsons references. If we continue to make Simpsons references, there's an entire demographic of people who will not understand anything we say. So that's, we'll, that's my main issue. We'll stick to Homestar Runner. Yeah. How about the critic? Can we go with critic references? Homestar Runner and the critic are fine. Duckman is fine. <laughs> Ooh, Duckman. I'm on for that. Yeah. Anyway, so to get back to Pink Eye on My Leg, I have no idea what to make of this song or why they included it, but you never know what you're going to get with Ween. They're right. they like a, the box of chocolates of band. Uh, I like how the, the melody seems to get increasingly more moronic each time it reappears. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the only instrumental I think I've ever heard that actually that I can remember making me laugh and it's not because of the dogs it's not because of the stupid like uh sample that comes in it's just the fact that the lead synth sound it sounds like a guy who's being cut off from a bar and ejected <laughs> and made to walk down a slip and slide while doing it it's it's so dopey <laughs> yeah it's great that's so beautiful well oh <laughs> that's <laughs> that's where my poetry really shines is when describing ween songs I guess one of the things I always liked about Ween is that they're they're not super self-serious. They're not afraid to put something yeah. just dopey on a record. 
which is why I feel like, you know, I sound like I'm being kind of harsh on this song, but I really feel like this is one of those albums that's kind of, you know, greater than the sum of its parts, because all taken together, like this all works. Oh, yeah. Like in spite of itself, it shouldn't. But like all this doof, this dopey stuff next to these like dark ballads and like, you know, prog rock things and children's songs, somehow it all makes a coherent whole against all odds. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's Ween. That's Ween in a, in a nutshell right there. Yeah. So uh, let's go on. So from acclaimed prog rock epic, The Mollusk, this is Waving My Dick in the Wind. <laughs> Yeah, this one is clearly pretty goofy. It probably wouldn't surprise you to, if you remember earlier in the episode when I was talking about how they recorded a country album, this was written in the same sessions. And they basically said they had to determine, we're going to put this on the country album or are we going to, you know, record it for the mollusk? And for whatever reason, they decided, let's put it on the mollusk. Um. It's basically a goofy interlude. But again, like there's actually some kind of interesting electric guitar stuff going on in the background. Like it's clear they put a lot of work into arranging it, considering that it's as silly as it is. Like there's a dumb part in the middle of it where there's an interlude with like a fake tap dancing solo in the middle of it. And a fake tap dancer who's who's angrily asserts, I'm doing the best I can. God damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's it's so silly. Yeah. But again, like the album is coming to a climax with the next song, which is one of the darker, bigger songs on the album. And again, Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a breather and it's just, you know, it sets you up for, you know, the big song coming up next. So and on that level, you know, again, it works. Yeah. So after the um, after the technical difficulties break, this is kind of like back to commercial for me. This is another song that really makes the album kind of a hard sell uh, to people uh, (laughs) when I try to recommend it, especially because it jumps right out at you from the track list. It's like, dick. yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I remember when I when I bought this album, I I went to um, I believe I bought it at a Sam Goody. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to, like, show my age a little bit there, a Sam Goody in a shopping mall. And I was looking at the track listing on the back and saw that and went, what? <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's it's short and amusing enough, I guess. It probably should have been on 12 Golden Country Greats, but for what it's worth, if it was on there, I wouldn't have noticed it as much. So. Yeah, I, I have a hard time imagining it with that album's, like how precise the arrangements were there. It kind of has the piss up a rope vibe, though, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of the novelty, uh, upbeat, dirty yeah, song. Yeah, having two of those on 12 Golden Country Greats would have been... And there might be a lot they put on right. this one. Yeah, they might have. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, do you have anything else to say about this uh, this Sterling track? It's all good fun. We'll we'll just have Mike edit out like twenty more minutes of discussion here. Well, that was a good twenty minutes of discussion about waving my dick in the wind. I gotta go steam my throat, but um, 
<laughs> just get, go into Buckingham Green. I'll 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 join. Yeah, let's move on to a much lesser song, Buckingham right. Green. A child without an eye. So this is clearly back to the more serious side of this album. Bizarre, pompous, nonsensical lyrics aside, which are probably, like many of Ween's very pompous songs, just a big put on. This is actually an old song. They had been doing this one live like three or four albums prior to this one. And for some reason, they just never recorded it. And they finally decided for the mollusk, it was time. And it's probably good that they waited because many of their earlier albums had kind of a cheap production to them. And this song is good enough that it merits a more full production, which they get here. They also completely rewrote a good chunk of this song from the earlier live versions because originally it was just, you know, the verses that we played earlier and then there would be be like a long kind of noise interlude where they'd repeat the verses a bunch of times. It was very incomplete. But for this recording, and from all live recordings they did after this, rather than do that, they composed a very intricate, you know, guitar solo instrumental section, which is really the crux of the song, and it's really what makes it so good. timpani drums do you guys know hmm. i do not know it, it certainly sounds real enough and that's the thing i think upon my first listening to this album that really 
like gave me goosebumps and made me want to immediately start replaying it as soon as the album was over. But this song, just like with that solo section here, we basically take a huge prog rock epic and jam it into like three and a half minutes because mm-hmm. this song, they, it just gets in, gets to that big solo section, hits a climax, has one final verse and it gets out and it's done, which is a very yeah. impressive feat to get something as majestic sounding as this crammed yeah. into such a tiny little package. Well, this uh, this seems like as good a place as any to introduce actually my um, uh, my synesthesia because it informs a lot of the way I think about music and actually I think a lot of musicians have it. Um, so basically, like I see music as shapes and to a lesser extent colors, which is the more common one that you see, like say among like Frank Ocean uh, on his Channel Orange album. And uh, the, the way I see it is sort of like a mixture of a waveform and the vocalist track in Rock Band, which I've seen many many times. <laughs> Um, anyway, the reason I bring it up is because this song is a particularly potent example of it. Usually the shapes are kind of abstract, but possibly thanks in part to the word Buckingham, I picture this song as act- an actual musical castle, <laughs> which, wow. uh, yeah, like it's a, 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 it's a castle that has like all of the, um, I don't know, just all of the elements are like reflected in some way, like the solo. Um, anyway, I don't want to just talk about my brain here, but like, no, I, that's the, really cool though. It sounds, yeah. <laughs> the way you describe it sounds like the, the holophoner from Futurama. So yeah, it's it's if it's we're really not using for... Simpsons references. We're, I'm gonna get the Matt Groening references in where I can. Yeah, he's gonna have a new show too. Um, anyway, so basically, like the reason I bring it up is because like a song that you know inspires that like uh, that vivid of a level of like synesthesia. It really speaks to the density of the song and to the grandiosity of Ween's vision. And this is, uh, as I alluded to earlier, this is probably the best song on the album, and the solo is completely nuts. Yeah, it's. I would. It's neck and neck with the golden eel for me. I'd probably give it to the golden eel if I had to pick, but it's really close. Well, this one, this one stands out for me because um, I've heard a couple other versions. Like I, I know I've heard at least two cover versions, but the only one I can remember is the Electric Six, who I know are are well regarded by many of the other people on this podcast. Um, and they they did a pretty straight rendition of the song on one of their covers albums but it's still it's just it sounds kind of bloodless unless you have that particular weenie verve i don't i don't know a better way to put it but it's just it's so powerful on this particular recording i kind of agree with phil that i would probably give the golden eel the edge over this one but this is so much of like the kind of the climax of the album especially where it's placed where it's like the big explosion before well, Ocean Man, but uh, <laughs> which, well. is, which I like, but I mean, but it, it's kind of like the last big sort of dark prog exploration. Well, we just alluded to the next song, but this is track 13, Ocean Man. probably the most well-known song on this album because it was used in the spongebob squarepants movie i heard it in a honda commercial once it's probably about the most traditionally catchy song on the album was it actually uh how was it used in the movie i never saw it i think it just plays it over the credits that's my memory as well though that that soundtrack is 
surprisingly like indie rock fan center like the flaming lips are on it the shins motor i remember the shins yeah yeah prince paul motorhead yeah it's amazing <laughs> wow wow but if, if if there's gonna be if there was a commercial song on this album none of this album is particularly commercial but if there was gonna be like a commercial single off this album probably should have been this because mm-hmm. this is you know short and punchy and fun it's got a mandolin which is you know kind of unusual but fits real well is there a mandolin on this? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, I can hear it. Now, now that you mention it, I can hear it. Uh, just yep. like picturing it in my head. Oh, wow. In that oral history, they actually talked about how um, Gene just showed up with a mandolin one day and they just messed around and this, this song is what came out of it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's a, this is the Ween song for all ages. We're suddenly in the kid's corner. And uh, I, I don't know, it's just a lot like pink eye coming off of cold blows the wind the juxtaposition with the previous track is just hilarious to me um <laughs> and personally i always picture this song being sung by a giant crustacean like a, a, a like a big i don't know just a big like full crustacean wearing a hat with like legs and i, I don't know I, I also love the fullness of the sound of the song which you can really really see if you look at the waveform it's just like packed mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it really does sound very cartoony yeah, this has ever yeah. been a favorite of mine. I don't know why, because it's catchy enough. But for some reason, after the more kind of, I guess, kind of experimental songs, this sort of just, at this point in the album, it just feels a little, I don't know, kind of wanted something a little more of a bang after, I guess, Buckingham Green. Mm-hmm. I feel like the album is almost intentionally designed to kind of be a come down after Buckingham Green. Defy your expectations. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it'd be tough. To, to think of, because if you jump right from Buckingham Green to the next one, which, uh, haha, Rich isn't the only one who can do segues, to uh, <laughs> She Wanted to Leave, uh, <laughs> that would be kind of an odd downer to end the album on, but there's this little yeah. sort of bu- bubble of cheerfulness in the middle. Well, speaking of segues, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I don't know, or I don't know, do you have anything else to say about Ocean Man? Well, I think like it's kind of a thing that like Ween have done before by taking like the most pompous like song on the record and then like following it up with something goofy. Like because mm-hmm. they did it on Chocolate and Cheese, too, because that album has a song titled Buenos Tardes Amigo, oh. <laughs> which is, you know, kind of a big like, you know, yeah. spaghetti Western sounding like epic song. It sounds like something from, you know, Ennio Morricone would record or something almost. And they follow it up with something called the HIV song. <laughs> yeah, again, Ween, not the wokest. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, even even at even at the time, that was uh, even way before the word woke was spoken by anyone. That was yeah, not woke. right. Well, there's an. I, I guess this is the as good a place as ever to point out that um, there's there's a book, there's an entire book on chocolate and cheese written by uh, Hank Steamer. Uh, which goes into great detail about the HIV song, <laughs> which sort of tries to pin down what the point is to that. But that's I, it's a topic for, you know, two podcasts from now when I guess chocolate and cheese is scheduled. But go on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This is just going to be a ween podcast from now on. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to the final track. Uh, this is She Wanted to Leave Reprise. Yeah. 
another one of those like very nautical themed songs on this record i mean it's explicitly nautical they were talking about you know boats and being out at sea and the whole thing again much like the blarney stone sounds like a sea shanty except this one sounds like less of a joke than the blarney stone this one kind of sounds like a joke because it's so over the top but because mm-hmm. we're sort of primed for that with ween yeah <laughs> It's um, it goes on for a while. Then it like all of a sudden kind of shifts at the end to like kind of make like a big like pompous sounding finale to the record. So go fetch a bottle of rum, dear friends, and fill up my glass to the rim. song it's not the best song on the record but i definitely like it it brings the thing to a close very nicely the song is called she wanted to leave parentheses reprise for some reason the best i can figure is that there actually is a brief reprise of i'll be dancing in the show tonight hidden at the end of it Mm -hmm. i I think that's the reference yeah and i got a clip of that there too i actually really like that that reprise i think it brings the album to a nice close Yeah, I love the reprise of I'll Be Dancing in the Show Tonight. It sounds to me like the song is kind of drifting in with the tide, like the band having been absorbed into the fog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, like a like a ghost pirate ship, if that's a thing. It probably is. They they have a lot of superstitions, the pirates. <laughs> well, there's the ghost ship in Mario World. There, There's the other video game references. <laughs> that's that's of course... <laughs> The better ghost ship is, of course, in Dragon Warrior 3, where you need the sailor's thigh bone in order to locate it. Ah, uh, Phil, you're out geeking me again. <laughs> what the again? hell are you people talking about? <laughs> so to get back to She Wanted to Leave. <laughs> like the Blarney Stone, I love, well, I, I like this one a lot more than the Blarney Stone, but it really adds to the atmosphere for me. The melody sounds timeless to me, even though Gene's diction is a little bit on the goofy side, but that's obviously not a problem. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's the perfect ending for the album, and I... Again, I love the reprise. Yeah, the, the diction, I think, is that's, that's the Richard Thompson uh, influence that Diener mm-hmm. kind of mentions in the oral history. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of confused about that until, Dan, you pointed out that it, it was less less explicit in its reference to any particular Richard Thompson era, whether it's Fairborn Convention or whatever else, but just sort of like a, a Richard Thompson vibe. Yeah, the storytelling kind of... yeah aspect yeah that that made a lot more sense when you you explained that to me before the the recording oh, says red molly 
to James That's a fine motorbike A girl could feel special on any such like Says James to Red Molly My hat's off to you it's a Vincent Black Lightning 1952. <laughs> they have to explain a lot of things to me before we actually sit down to record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this yeah. one. I think it's a great closer. It's actually genuinely pretty. I like mm-hmm. it a lot. Yeah, I love it. So, Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the Mollusk. Uh, but, I mean, there, Wien has a lot of other music. So, Phil, you want to you wanna take us through a couple of other recommendations? Well... I picked The Mollusk to talk about because it's one of their more interesting and diverse albums, but it's actually probably not my favorite Ween album. My favorite Ween album is probably the one they put out two after this, Quebec, which is um, a very dark album because I think the band were going through personal problems at the time and you can really feel it in the music there. There's lots of really great songs on there. Um just a couple off the top of my head that I would really recommend checking out. Uh, Transdermal Celebration off that album is extremely good. The Argus is extremely good. Oh, the Argus. Yeah. And the Argus is practiced compassion with an eye on you as one is on me. Will the God I grant its forgiveness letting droplets of life erupt from the sea. definitely get that one if you want something more normal and straightforward uh white pepper which i mentioned briefly earlier is with a couple of exceptions just a bunch of normal songs like nothing as off-putting as some of the stuff on the mollusk um mccartney-esque very mccartney-esque a song on there even if you don't extremely mccartney-esque Lots of great songs on that one. And then if you like The Mollusk, the album in their catalog that's the most similar to it is probably uh, Chocolate and Cheese, which we've talked about a couple of times, which is just crazy genre hopping, you know, lots of interesting ideas and genres and, you know, jumps all over the map and keeps you guessing what's going to happen. Like any of those three albums, I think, would be very solid. I don't I don't think you can go wrong really with like Godwin Satan their first album if you're I think you have to be more of like a, a hardcore punk fan maybe for some of that because they're like 23 songs and it's really noisy and kind of screamy in parts 
And then their final album, Laka Karacha, or studio album anyway, Laka Karacha, a lot of uh, fans point to that as their weakest, but that's still got some really great songs on it to me anyway. I think it's their weakest album, but I feel like a it lot of bands would uh, be, if for most bands, if that was their weakest album, then they would be pretty happy. Right. Yeah. It's still got Your Party, which is, I think, one of their greatest songs. It's just, it's like a 70s key party in four minute pop song form. Yeah, I love when they refer to like uh, what the meat was covered with the finest juices and served on yeah. platters of gold, and like they 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 were serving tricolored pastas, which makes yeah. me feel like just so dirty every time I have tricolored pasta. I know. Now. It's like it's like watching the ice storm, sort of. Yeah, that 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 is definitely how I would think about it. Um, I would also like to throw in a recommendation for Godwin Satan. Like, I, I mean, every band has that like one. I, well, there's so many bands that have that one album at the beginning of their career that's like 30 tracks right. long and it's like a minute per song, and you just. I just never want to listen to that one. <laughs> Ween's version of that is really a monster. Like, it's very well-produced. It's very diverse. It's also very juvenile, but I, I really admire its ambition, and I think that, like, every every aspiring Ween fan should at least give it a shot. It's it's considerably more well-produced than the two albums that came out after it, oh, including totally. yeah. their major label yeah. debut. It sounds so much better than the album they made for Elektra Records, which yeah, was I bought, I bought Godway and Satan after I'd heard the pod and pure pure guava that's kind of like oh god what's this one gonna sound like and i couldn't believe how much more professional it sounded yeah for that for that album just uh check out on youtube probably the song you fucked up don't laugh i love you and squelch the weasel i think that's a those are three pretty some of the more accessible what about old man thunder yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you if you got twenty two seconds to spare, maybe that one. Guys, it that long. <laughs> I seriously love uh, "Birthday Boy," which in yeah. all the midst yeah. of all their like screwing around, is just this deep, sad, heartfelt song. My personal favorite is uh, "Never Squeal," which I'm going to include a clip of because I pick all the clips on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Never squeal on a pusher. Don't lie to your mama. Just do what you want. Swim in the water, don't fly in the daytime. Just do what you want, and it'll be okay. So, uh, so Phil, do you want to bring us to a close about Ween and the Mollusk? What are your concluding thoughts? Well, basically, if you're musically adventurous, like, and you like, if you're okay with listening to stuff in a whole bunch of different styles, if you're okay with, you know, stuff that could sound silly or, you know, stuff that might be puerile one minute and deadly serious the next. If you're okay with that and you're looking for something cool and different and creative, then very much give Ween a shot because they have a lot of really cool stuff in their catalog. And this album in particular, I think, encompasses most of their best aspects while showcasing very few of their more annoying ones. Yeah, really. I think uh, Polka Dot Tail is probably the most self-indulgent of the tracks on here and that one's still only like what three and a half minutes longer so yeah nothing on this record's longer than like four minutes it's all pretty concise so like if something is annoying you then it's gonna go away pretty quick because we on this album at least know when to get in and get out right yeah if that's the thing that you don't like about prog then that's uh we definitely fix that for you <laughs> <laughs> so for next week's album uh, next week um, Mike is going to be back and he's going to be leading us through Delton 3030 producer Dan the Automator's Space Age dystopian hip hop concept album with MC Del the Funky Homo Sapien and turntablist Kid Koala and both uh, Phil and Will are going to be back for that one 
Thanks for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy or stream The Mollusk and other albums by Ween at the usual suspects such as Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Amazon. Visit our website at discordpod.com for show notes and a list of upcoming albums. Follow Discord and Rhyme on Twitter at discordpod for news, updates, and other random stuff. Follow me at Zone Trope. Follow Phil at PA Maddox. Follow Dan at Dennis Watkins. And Will isn't on Twitter. He was, but he wanted to leave. So he did. If you have a second, please rate us on iTunes. More reviews means more exposure. Special thanks to our own Mike DeFabio, the other leading brand, for production and editing. You can check out Will's music at disclaimer.bandcamp.com. See you next album, and be ever wonderful. Wonderful.